0: Good morning. As was mentioned earlier, we're continuing to talk about the kind of uh, men that we want to be appointed shepherds here at Northwest. We are in a season where we are appointing new shepherds here at Northwest, um, and we're doing it, as has been mentioned, a little bit differently this time. Um, One of the main changes is that Uh, From now on, we're going to be doing this every four years, whether we think that we have a need for new shepherds or not. But part of the process is going to involve uh, an affirmation of our elders. So any potential new elders and any current elders will all kind of uh, will make sure and check in with the church and see if we still continue to affirm them as our shepherds and as our leaders. Uh, And we'll do that every four years. But right now, what we're hoping and praying for uh, is that God has some who are among us who have a shepherd's heart and who have the character of a shepherd uh, to help lead this congregation. And so today and uh, next Sunday and and any of the days in between, uh, we're asking you as the sheep of this flock to nominate those men who you think have the heart of a shepherd and the character of a shepherd. And so today we're going to be looking at a number of scriptures that talk about uh, the kind of character a shepherd should have what would uh, we expect someone to be like who is going to be this special leader in the church Uh, last week we talked about the heart of a shepherd how god is a shepherd god who sent his son to be a shepherd king leading all of his people and that when jesus ascended into heaven to be back with the father that he left part of his plan was to leave in the church Uh, certain shepherd people who would shepherd his people, his kingdom. Uh, One of the stories we looked at was the parable of the lost sheep uh, and how a good shepherd who sees his 99 sheep and realizes one is missing will leave the 99 and go off and try and find the one and save it and bring it back so that all of them can be safe. And that God is like that. God has a heart for the lost. God has a heart for the little ones. But if you actually go look at Matthew 18, where that parable is from, it's in response to a question that is asked several passages before that. It's asked as a result uh, to someone asking Jesus, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the one who has the most power and the most authority? Who's the most important person in the room in God's kingdom? And Jesus answers them by telling them this, He called a little child to him, and he placed the child among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me." And then he says it's going to be dangerous for anyone who causes the least of these to stumble. And then he tells the parable of the lost sheep. And he's still answering this same question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And the answer is the one who is willing to serve. The one who is willing to be humble. The one who is more interested in lifting up others than exalting themselves. And so anytime we talk about the character of the shepherds in the church, anytime we talk about ministers, anytime we talk about leaders, anytime in the kingdom of God we talk about leaders of any form, we start with this question. Who do you say is the greatest? The greatest in this room and any other room of Christians gathered together is the one who becomes like the child. And so as we think about Uh, who's going to be a leader in this church, we have to start with Jesus' teaching that he makes over and over and over again that it's the ones who are willing to serve, that are interested in their own fame, their own popularity, their own honor being lifted up, but it's the ones who instead look to others and say, I want to lift you up by serving you. And it's the servant heart and the character of the servant that we're looking for at Northwest, not just in our shepherds, but in every one of our lives. If you want to be important in the kingdom of God, you do it by making yourself less and others more. Philippians 2 tells us that when we do that, we become like Jesus. And when we're like Jesus, we don't have to honor ourselves because God will exalt us in the end. God takes care of the honor if we're just willing to give it away. So while we are all given the spiritual gift of shepherding in some form, if you're a parent, you shepherd your kids. If you're a Bible class teacher, you shepherd that class. You're looking after those who God has given to your care. In that moment, the church does have some who are set aside in a special way. And that's what we're talking about today as we consider who will be in that special role. And sometimes we call it elder. Sometimes we call it shepherd. Uh, but it's the, the ones who are the leaders of our congregation. Um, The Bible gives us guidance into what kind of character these men should have. It gives us a number of uh, scriptures where it says, these should be men who are, and then it describes their character. Uh, But before I get into those lists, uh, you need to know that Paul's not just inventing this genre of virtue list. Uh, This is something that was commonly done by Greek biographers and historians uh, who would be philosophers often. The first one that we're gonna look at here in a second Uh, is a guy named Diogenes Laertius. He was a Stoic philosopher. uh, And and these groups of Greeks would often get together. And one of the questions they like to ask is, what is a good man? What defines a good leader? And they would come up with these virtue lists. So Diogenes in his list says this, he must be married, he must be without pride, he must be temperate, he must combine prudence of mind with excellence of outward behavior. Uh, that sounds similar. When we get into Paul's list, you're going to be like, well, okay, he's having a conversation with other people in his community about what is good leadership. Uh, another guy named Onisander uh, is a military ruler, and he's writing a book uh, called The General about what it means to be a good military commander. Uh, and listen to what he says. Now, if I were writing a book about being a good military commander, uh, I would tell you the first thing on my list is a good battle strategy. Uh, it would be a good use of weaponry and control of command, uh, the ability to delegate down through the ranks. Uh, here's what uh, Ona Sander writes. A good military commander must be prudent, must be self-controlled, must be sober, must be frugal, enduring in toil, intelligent, Without love of money, neither young or old, if possible, the father of a family, able to speak competently and of good reputation. That's what makes a good military commander. I think it's really important. We've kind of lost this. These are Greek guys, this isn't from the Bible, but we've lost this expectation that our leaders uh, be frugal that our leaders be of good moral character, that our leaders not be greedy, that they should be humble, that they should be good parents and good husbands. I think we should bring that back. And judging by your response, that should be a sermon in the near future, but not today. (laughs) Not today, not today, focus. Um, But they had an expectation that, that all leaders would be people of virtue, people of character. But the different communities had different virtues that they exalted and some that they pushed down. And so as the church begins to take shape and the churches begin to form and congregations start to happen, meeting from house to house, one of the questions that starts to come up is, well, what about us? What are the virtues and character traits that we should expect in the leaders among our churches? And to that Paul writes to two young missionaries Uh, He writes to Titus and he writes to Timothy and he says, listen, I'm going to give you virtue lists that you should have as a standard for those who are the leaders of the congregation. And he's doing this. This isn't a new thing that Paul is doing. This is something that is normal in the Greco-Roman world is a new community is forming and they've got their identity. And one of the things they have to say is who are the kinds of leaders who we will have leading over us? And so Paul writes to them. Uh, and he says, here's Titus's list first. Uh, he says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be Blameless, not overbearing, not quick tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable. He must be one who loves what is good, who is self controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those. Who oppose it. Paul describes to Titus the kind of person who would be the leaders of these churches and these congregations. And he says it's important that they be blameless. Now, we've got to pull from other parts of Paul to ask the question, does Paul expect that the leaders of the church will actually be perfect in every way? No. Paul himself talks in Romans about how his body wages a war with him, and he ends up doing what he does not want to do. And at the end of that chapter, he doesn't say, and therefore I'm disqualified as a missionary and as a writer of the gospel, end letter. Uh, I'm fired. He doesn't do that. He acknowledges that even he, Paul, is one who struggles with sin, and he struggles with temptation. And he struggles with doing the wrong thing even when he wants to do the right thing. Now, does, does Paul mean, then, that the leader should be perfect? No, that's not a standard that, that Jesus, Paul, the Bible, or anyone else gives to us. It's something we aim for. It's something we strive for. But certainly what he means here is that it needs to be someone who is not in their, uh, their role in the home, the church, and in the community tarnished. Someone who doesn't carry around the dark marks of big uh, bad decisions, right? It's someone who is of good reputation. And in fact, he uses that description uh, later. Uh, It is someone, uh, there's a book out called, a church called Tov. Tov is this, this Hebrew word that means good. And it's similar to pure, but it's this idea of goodness that goes all the way through. And if I just asked you, can you tell me the name of someone in your family Someone in your workplace, someone in your world who is just good. Someone pops to your head, doesn't it? There's someone that you think, boy, that person is just good. Now, if I said, do you know someone who's perfect? Your brain would, your, your brain would not pull up anyone. But if I said, can, your brain, can you think of someone who's good? You immediately have a name. That's what Paul's looking for when he looks for the character of a shepherd as someone who is a genuinely good person. He talks about being faithful to his wife, a one-woman man. This description here uh, for Paul is, is literally translated from the Greek into, Greek into English, a one-woman man. Um, and, and the idea there is, and I don't want to get too into the technicalities of it, but what I want you to do is it's, it's a way of saying a faithful spouse, a faithful husband, that in their marriage they should be someone who is commitment committed, someone who is faithful, someone who is not trying to get out of their commitment to their spouse. And not only to his wife, but to his entire household. This is a person who in their home is faithful in how they interact with their children they interact with their family as someone who is not overbearing or quick-tempered someone who is not given to drunkenness someone who is not violent someone who is not greedy or dishonest with finances or business someone who is hospitable hospitality is one of the great virtues of the ancient world that we practice as a hobby but for them was core to character It's core to the character uh, of, of a good person in the ancient world. If you're willing to bring someone into your home and protect them and look over them, or if you're willing to just shut the door in their face and say, you're not my problem. Hospitality means letting someone else's burdens become your burdens in that you take them on and walk with them a little ways. It means taking care of someone who the world would say is not your responsibility, but you say today, while you're in my church, my house, my presence, I accept your burdens and your responsibilities as as mine. Someone who loves good. Someone who is self-controlled. Someone who is upright, holy, and disciplined. Someone who holds firmly to Scripture Someone who is responsible for the doctrine of the church. Uh, Our shepherds are the ones who read Scripture and and decide how, in our congregation, we're going to live it out and to practice it. How we hold each other accountable to the Bible and its teachings for us as individuals and as as a community. And so you need someone uh, who has read it a number of times. Uh, Someone who can say, God, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That, that the word is part of how they make decisions and how they resist temptation and how they are guided in their life. The psalmist writes, God, your word is a light to my feet. As our shepherds lead our church, we need to have guys that have spent enough time in the word that when they're guiding us in the dark, that it's the word that's the lamp for our feet. They need to know it and they need to love it and hold to it. He writes to Timothy later, uh, or on another occasion, I don't remember which letter was first. Uh, He writes to Timothy, and he's on the same topic, and he's telling Timothy, hey, uh, I already told Titus over in Crete, and I'm going to tell you in Ephesus, here's what you need to do as you're setting up churches. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Most of these traits that he gives to Timothy are in the Titus leather. They're very similar in a number of ways, but they are slightly different. And so I want to kind of go through this. Um, The ones that are the same, you can imagine, are, are more important to Paul. The ones that have variation are less important. Luke does this a lot in his writing. He'll tell you the same story three times. That's how you know Luke thinks it's important. And he'll change a couple details every time he does it. That's his way of saying these details don't matter, but the pieces that stay the same do. Paul, in, in his letter to these two guys, gives them slightly different list. I think it's because they're in different churches that have different cultures. So he writes to Timothy, who is in the large urban center of Ephesus, that he needs people who are above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, Respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a greedy lover of money, manages family well with respectable children who respect him, not a recent convert, not conceited, good reputation with outsiders. So the lists are, are very, very similar, but they do have some differences. And I think the reason they have some differences is because these guys are doing ministry in very different places. Timothy is in Ephesus, which is one of the great urban centers of the Roman world. Uh, and if, uh, if you've ever hung out with urban people, they're a little bit fancier and they're a little bit more eloquent in different ways. And that was even more true in Rome. Um, Titus is doing ministry in Crete. And right after he describes the list of of the character of a shepherd in his letter to Titus, here's how Paul describes Cretans to to Titus. He says, There are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said it, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And then Paul says, this saying is true. All right. Uh, there's a time when a minister gets called to a ministry and, and he kind of thinks, man, this is great. Um, you know, I love being here, but it would have been all right if God had called me to ministry in Hawaii. That would have been okay. And Titus and Timothy are having this kind of conversation that at some point, and, and Timothy's like, I think I'm going to go to Ephesus. It's urban. They've got better food. They've got better trade. The people are, are sophisticated. And you can imagine Titus being like, where am I going? And Paul's like, you're going to the Cretans. God, not the Cretans. Yep, the Cretans. But, but they even call themselves lazy liars. And he's like, yeah, have a good time. <laughs> Buckle up. You can imagine the, the prophetic called Isaiah, where after he says, God send me, here I am. And then he goes, but how long, God? Indeed. But God calls us where he calls us, and he sends us where he sends us. But then he gives us the tools to lead in that context. And so to Timothy, he says, listen, you need leaders. And he's got a few things in there, the ability to teach and uh, a good reputation with outsiders, that they're not a recent convert is important in Ephesus. Those things don't come up in Crete. In Crete, he wants people, he double emphasizes the violent nature uh, and important that uh, shepherds not be like that, but they also be uh, committed to sound doctrine. And, and so these lists are similar, but they're different. And there's uh, an author, a guy named uh, Lynn, uh, it, he's writing Lynn Anderson. He wrote a book called They Smell Like Sheep, and he's talking about the character uh, of elders and shepherds. And he says, listen, here's the thing you need to know. My dad, this is Lynn Anderson, says my dad was born in rural Arkansas. And he grew up with all the things that come with rural Arkansas. And God raised him up there and he became an extremely faithful Christian and a spiritual man. And later in life, he would move to rural Western Canada. He says he was an incredible shepherd at a church in Western Canada. And he and another shepherd there are some of the spiritual giants of Lynn Anderson's entire world. He said, it's unbelievable how God has used that man as a shepherd to to lead so many people to Jesus and lead them through trials and temptations. He says, but listen, I'm a preacher at an urban church in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex. He would not be a good shepherd here. And I think that there is something to say for that. I think there's a wisdom to that that we need to be considering. Um, that there are people who would be great shepherds in one flock, but maybe not in another. And that's not to say that that, that that's a it that means that they are flawed. But a shepherd needs to smell like the sheep that they're leading, and the sheep need to know that shepherd's voice. And so this familiarity of context is part of how we pick good leaders in churches and for that reason i don't think that paul would suggest that these lists are exhaustive that he's like if you have these things you're good you've got it no other requirements are there for one he doesn't even say that they should pray or that they should be filled with the holy spirit and so in acts chapter 6 when the apostles are trying to choose six men uh, seven men uh, to lead through a challenge and a logistics problem that's come up with the feeding of widows They don't look for for people that have any of the characteristics. Their criteria is they wanted men who were filled with the Spirit and filled with wisdom. So does that mean if we've got a a widow's ministry, we need Spirit-filled people with wisdom, but if we've got elders, we need this other checklist? I don't think we do. I think what we need to do is recognize that, that what Paul is saying in these lists is, hey, there are some things that should always be present in your leaders. They should be... Uh, sober from uh, addictions and sober in their thoughts so that they can lead well. They need to not be violent. We always understand those things are present in our leaders, but we also need some who are filled with the Spirit, who are prayerful people, who are people who um, put others before themselves. And so in all of these things what we see is that there is in scripture over and over again this sense of character in the home, character in the church, and character in the community. And we know what that looks like. And we know what that uh, how that presents in the life of our people that they're good, that they have tove in them. And those are the kinds of people that we want leading our church. So what are we looking for? I, I, I want to kind of give you a, a summary, and I like this. This is also from Lynn Anderson's book, and it kind of it combines a lot of these character traits that Paul has and that he gives to those who are leading at Ephesus and at Crete and in other churches that he would have been setting up and discipling throughout uh, the, the world that he did ministry in. And what we see is that we need men with experience. We need people who have experience with God's Word. That they've read it, but not just that they know what the words say, but that the word is written on their hearts in ways that guide them. Guide them in their thought, guide them in their words, guide them in their actions. We need leaders at Northwest who are uh, people who have experience with Jesus. Jesus on one occasion says, uh, there are going to be people who call on my name in the, the final day, and I will say, I don't know who you are. We don't need leaders who know Jesus' name but who don't know Jesus. We need them to have a relationship with the Messiah because they've walked with him through the valleys and on the mountains. And the truth is we also need leaders who have experience with Satan. We need leaders who have wrestled with sin. We're not looking for perfect people to lead. We need people that have been through some trials, that have had, been knocked down a time or two, that know what it's like to wrestle with uh, temptation and sin and come out faithful on the other side. We don't pretend here at Northwest that we are led by perfect people. We want to be led by faithful people. And often faith comes by going through the tough times. And we need people that have done that to lead. We need people of character. People who are faithful husbands and fathers. People who are uh, sober-minded, who are not running crazy. There's, this is, okay, here we go. Um, In our world today, we've got a lot of people that are addicted to substances, and it controls uh, their behavior, and it controls their obsessions, and it controls their heart and their minds. But we also have a lot of people in the world today that are obsessed and addicted to their thoughts, And they've allowed their thoughts to be taken captive by the things of this world. And they're obsessed with things of this world and it captures their hearts and their minds and their passions and they think about it all the time. And so if you are in your thoughts, in your worries and your anxieties, in the things that you're thinking about and chasing on a daily basis, obsessed with something that's not Jesus, we need people who are sober minded and sober from addiction be leaders in the church people who are have the character of loving God more than the things of this world we need people who have character men who are respected by others in the community for their character Uh, several times uh, Paul talks about how the leaders and elders of the church need to be people who are beyond reproach who are respected and he places that respect in different spheres in their lives They need to be respected at home, they need to be respected at work, they need to be respected in the community. People who are good all the way through are good when people are watching and they're good when people aren't watching. They're good at home and they're good when they're not at home. We need leaders who are that way. We need men of vision. We need men that understand that we live in a rapidly changing world that needs continually new and innovative solutions to new problems. The world that we live in has been disrupted in every area of the world. And if we have leaders who want to try yesterday's solutions to today's problems, we're not going to get very far. They're not working. We need people that are adaptive leaders, that are willing to look at what's going on in the world and figure out how the church can grow and thrive and succeed in a world that's presenting new threats than we've ever seen before, that seeks out solutions uh, to deal with the challenges that the world and Satan put in front of us. So we need leaders that are willing to, uh, to experiment, leaders that are willing to fail and learn and move forward. We need leaders who aren't interested in putting the church in autopilot and saying, let's just see where this thing goes if we don't shake the boat too much. We need to be willing to grow, willing to lead. We need shepherds who see the challenges and lead the congregation into new pastures. Leading with faith and not fear. So as we think about who at Northwest will be these leaders in our church, uh, what we're asking you to do, and this is your job, if you don't do it, nobody else will. So here's your job starting right now and for the next uh, eight days. So from now until about noon next Sunday, uh, we're going to send you out an email and it'll have a form in it. And You can just go into that form and you can answer the question, who do you think at Northwest would be a good shepherd for this congregation? And you put their name in. Uh, you won't be graded for spelling, but it has to be close. Okay, has to be close. Um, Give us their names who you think would be good sheep because the sheep know their shepherd's voice. And so we wanna know whose voice you're willing to hear and you're willing to go with and to travel with on this faith journey. Um, If you're someone that's sitting here today and you're like, I don't like digital forms and I don't trust them, I don't want them, um, the government is watching, that's fine. We have paper forms. Uh, And the government will not tell your toast. The the forms will not tell your toaster who you're voting for, right? Um, So if you want to do that, they will be available in the South for your uh, after services. If you need one during the week, reach out to us. We'll get you a paper form and find a way to collect that from you. Uh, If you're watching online and would like to nominate someone, if you don't want to use the the form that's available, reach out to the office. We'll get a paper form to you and collect that. Uh, But we need you as a church to nominate the men that you think would be good shepherds at Northwest uh, for the next four years uh, that will lead forward in this congregation. Um, What else am I not saying? Who can nominate? If you are a baptized member of our congregation, you can nominate nominate someone. Now, teens, if you're in here, or parents, if your kids are baptized, you need to be talking to your kids about what this means at home and praying about this at home. And thinking about what it means for our church as we appoint new leaders. Uh, so the starting today until noon, next Sunday, uh, you can do it either way. And our selection facilitation team is what's next. Uh, we've got a group of seven or eight people who are going, six or seven people who are going to be meeting with uh, those candidates who get multiple nominations and who are biblically qualified and who might be interested with that, uh, serving in this way to recommend to our shepherds. So that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. So I want to end today by saying a prayer for us. Uh, If you have any questions about the process or how you're participating or what's going on, uh, there's a a form over here. There's a paper that outlines it that's available outside the auditorium. Uh, Or grab me or one of our ministers or any of our shepherds and ask them about this. Uh, And please be praying as we choose leaders that God will bring us leaders who will lead this congregation where he would want us to go. Uh, Father God, I just want to end this morning by asking that you would bless this process, that you would bless the people who are involved, that you would bless the members as they are prayerfully considering those that would lead this congregation, that Father, you would uh, guide us in this, and that where those uh, who would lead us well, you would see them appointed. And where there are those who would lead us badly, that you would see them not appointed. And that Father, in all things, we seek to be your people with a heart for the lost and a heart for the little ones, uh, a shepherd's heart in each of us looking to guide one another uh, to be your people so that one day you'll look upon us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, help us to be faithful servants. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.